Welcome to the Jesus Movement Podcast, presented by Awaken the Dawn. We host conversations so you can hear stories from across the movement, receive fresh biblical insights, and gain practical tools to experience more of Jesus's presence in your life, ministry, and city, because we believe Jesus changes everything. Hey, everyone. Welcome to today's episode. I'm your host, Matthew Lilly, and we have a special episode for you with a teaching from Michael Miller. He is the founder of Upper Room in Dallas, Texas. You've probably heard some of their worship music. If you're not already familiar with their ministry, Michael was at an Awaken the Dawn event last year, and he shared this amazing word with us about the new thing that God is doing in his church, purifying and preparing the body of Christ as his bride to be a dwelling place for his presence on the earth. Michael shares out of the experience of what God is doing, really the move of the Holy Spirit there at their upper room community in Dallas, Texas. And it's not on the recording today, but after the teaching at the in-person gathering, uh, there was about an hour of just weeping and waiting on the Lord. The Holy Spirit just manifested in powerful ways and encountered us and uh, met us powerfully during that time. And so I'm praying that as you listen to this teaching today, that God will encounter you and impact your life and help you to be a part of this new thing God is doing with reorienting us around the presence of Jesus. Thank you guys for tuning in today. Enjoy this teaching from Michael Miller. God is doing a new thing. And For a while, there have been many heralds, and I am grateful for the heralds that have run with messages and have marked moves of God. But I believe the coming move is not going to be marked by heralds. It's going to be marked by houses. It's going to be marked by people living in proximity to the presence of Jesus daily. It is going to be local expressions that are tending to the person of Jesus, which is the presence of Jesus, and those houses will be marked by these words, the Lord is there. The final words in Ezekiel, it's so important, it's where everything's going, the final words in Ezekiel. Ezekiel, there's a lot in Ezekiel. You don't want to randomly stumble into Ezekiel unless Mike Bickle's walking you through Ezekiel. Like, you can just get, like, confused, like, what's he talking about, and what's this temple, and it's just, there's so many layers to it, but the end of the book, which is a fulfillment from Isaiah to Jeremiah to Ezekiel, it's the last chapter, and he's been prophesying of this temple that's to come, and it's in the middle of a city, and he pulls back, like Google Maps, coming from all that he's been talking about, and the last line, it says, the name of the city. The name of the city is this, and it's a Hebrew word that I'm not going to attempt to pronounce, but the Hebrew word means this, the Lord is there. That's what that city will be named because (laughs) it would be the best description of it when you're there. What do you say? The Lord's there. And I don't know of a better description of the houses that he's building than houses that are marked by these four words, the Lord is there. It's not leadership. It's not marked by good preaching. It's not marked by worship leaders and 
spontaneous singing and it is marked by these four words, the Lord is there. And I believe in the coming day, there's going to be those that understand this and there's going to be everything else. But those that understand this and build with this vision, I believe that one thing will source the answers to all things in the days ahead. There are conversations we can have as his people. I love what JT has been leading with civil righteousness and the, the racial conversation. You've been such a source of wisdom and help for me as a leader. And I am indebted. I am grateful. Uh, but we are having conversations. Last year in 2020, our congregation grew about 20% in African-American attendance and people that are coming because we dove right into that conversation. We gathered around the table, but at the center of the table wasn't the racial issue. At the center of the table was those four words, the Lord is there. And we would disagree. We would have hard conversations in that environment, but it broke down all the offenses, all the walls, and you could actually see the person sitting on the other side of the table because there was a community that was unto those four words. The Lord is there. I want to read uh, an excerpt from a book that just marked me as a leader. I, I haven't read actually a lot of uh, Rick Joyner. I know he's a phenomenal author and everyone talks to me about the, is it the quest? The final quest. Yes, it's, I, I, I still need to read that. But this book by Rick Joyner, it, it, it kind of dovetails on what Mike and David and Billy were talking about last night uh, in regards to the attractional versus the apostolic and just the Lord detoxing the bride and, and it's a detoxing decade and preparing us for the roaring 20s and what is this going to look like? I don't know of a book that has put better language to where we're heading than Rick Joyner's book called The Apostolic Ministry. And I want to read some, some excerpts from it and then I want to dive into just some things that I've learned as a pastor and just building community around the presence of Jesus. So that's where we're heading this morning. So this is uh, the first sentence in this book. Listen to this. This is going to make you go buy it immediately. It says, there is more power in a single Christian than in all the armies on the face of the earth. Oh, that's that powerful. There's more power in a single Christian than all the armies on the face of the earth. This truth will become more known throughout the earth before the end of this age. God dwells in his people. And when his people come to know this as a living truth rather than a doctrine, the world then will know this truth. And he talks about the transition that we're in. This was, I don't know how old this book is, but we were right in the midst of this. The emerging generation must have adventure in their lives. The devil often takes the advantage of this need, but God put it there for a reason. The final generation on this earth are going to live the greatest adventure the world has ever known. There's no greater adventure than the true Christian life. And the true Christian life is about to be restored to the earth. This true and ultimate adventure is food for the soul. Many try to meet this need with movies, books throughout. They try to live vicariously, but none of those can fully satisfy our longing for this reality in our lives. Nothing can satisfy this longing like the true Christian life. We must also understand that this will mean the end of the church as it is now. Radical change is coming and those who are not discerning enough to see it and become a part of it will not survive much longer. Uh, this is not a slam against the church as it is, which has been effective in its time and a powerful salt and light in the earth in its generations. The church is also 
the mother of the great last day ministry, which is soon to emerge. However, just as Rachel died giving birth to Benjamin, the last son born to Israel, the same will happen to the church when the last day ministry is born. A major part of the church as we know it is not going to die because it has failed. It's going to die because it's succeeded. It will have given birth to the ministry that will help the world transition between the church age and the kingdom age. When Benjamin was born, his mother tried to name him Benoni, which means son of my sorrows. And I feel like some of us are in the midst of sorrow, but we must be careful not to give this season an identity that the Lord's not giving it. Because she attempted to define it as son of my sorrows, but the father's perspective was different. Because Israel, which had his name changed from Jacob, changed his names to Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. And the right hand of God is where Jesus sits. And it's actually the invitation for the Laodicean church. It's the greatest reward in the seven churches. It'll be the reward of the church in the last days that they'll sit with Jesus on his throne. He goes on. One of the biggest thieves in the church today is the easy way. He just talks about the road less traveled and the refining and the fire and the sorrow that we have to go through. And then just in closure, he says this, the reason the church emerged in the book of Acts as a force that could so change the world was because the Lord was among them. They had encounters with him day by day. He was their message. He did great works among them. Because of this, it was not long before the most powerful influences on the planet knew of these people and long afterwards were in great fear of them. These believers shook the earth with their message and their lives, and it will happen again. It seems as if the Lord purposely chose leaders for his new church, whom absolutely no one would follow, <laughs> unless these leaders were anointed with his presence. The people knew that those who now stood before them as their leaders had almost all recently denied the Lord, fled from him when he needed them most. These leaders did not have a great plan or program. In fact, there was no reason for anyone to follow them except one. The Lord had appointed them. Their authority was the result of just one fact. The king lived in them. The first century church really had one thing going for them. God. He was all they would need. The Lord was in their midst, living, doing wonders, teaching, comforting, and providing. I think our, our need in this hour is for, and I'm going to define this term, but it's for Jesus's active leadership. If you ask me what's revival, I, I would define it as that. It's Jesus's active leadership. And, and that's different than Jesus's leaders. We need <laughs> leaders that aren't leaders. We need leaders that are followers of Jesus's active leadership. And I'm talking this morning about my house shall be called the house of prayer. It's his house. And his house will be marked by his presence. And his house will be marked by his leadership. And by default, I think we as his people sometimes have settled for less. But in the hours and days of head, we cannot settle for less. We must have his leadership. We must be tethered to his leadership. Let me tell you a little bit of our story for those that don't know. So I'm Michael Miller, and we uh, lead a church called Upper Room in Dallas. And uh, that church was planted 
through an invitation by a business owner in the uptown Oaklawn area of Dallas. And Oaklawn, uptown is the homosexual district of Dallas. It's a church planting graveyard. Um, it's just really, really hard to plant a church there. I saw many churches come and go. I saw a lot of church planters come and literally die, including me. I died many deaths in Oaklawn. I didn't have a heart for the homosexual community. I though had 12, 15 years of experience in ministry, uh, was a communicator, uh, was looking at leading something, but I really would have chosen the burbs, like the suburbs. I can pastor the burbs, man. I am the burbs. Like, I know the burbs. I know the issue those guys face, but you plant me in Oak Lawn and guys are hitting on me daily. I am like, Lord, I don't want to be here. I don't. I genuinely don't know why you called me to this place. You found the wrong guy. I was just frustrated and wrestling with him. And what I now know the Lord was doing is he was cornering me. He took Oaklawn. Oaklawn was a spiritual corner and the Lord had me surrounded. And he just kept getting closer and closer. And the closer he got, the more he stripped me. What did he strip me of? He stripped me of my gifts. What did he strip me of? He stripped me of my preferences. What did he strip me of? He stripped me of my agendas and plans and all the things I was going to do for him. In that place, people weren't listening to the gospel. They didn't want to have conversations about Jesus. It was just really, really challenging. And finally, I surrendered when the Lord said this phrase to me. It was in 2011. It was about a year in. He said, son, I didn't call you to Oaklawn to minister to people. I called you to Oaklawn to minister to me. And I didn't even know that was biblical. I'm like, minister to you? I mean, I had a grid for first love, but I didn't have a grid for some of the language that we use now. And I went headlong into this, this journey into to like understanding what it meant to minister to the Lord, what it meant to respond to him when he came into a room. What it meant like to sit and to call upon his name and to sense the atmosphere change because the Holy Spirit came as we called and beckoned him. Draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. It's not just a theology, it's actually Jesus drawing near. <laughs> and it was like, it was like, it was like we sit in Jane Spring who, who taught me how to pray. And it was just me and Jane and Oaklawn, my graveyard. And I'm being buried as she's praying for marriages and musicians, marriages and musicians, marriages and musicians. And I'm like, if you pray for that again, he's hurt us. <laughs> he's like marriages and musicians, marriages and musicians. And I am just like, Lord, send me to Frisco. Send me somewhere else. And just Jane's like, I'm so glad you're here, Michael. She's my spiritual mama. She, she cut her teeth on IHOP. She introduced me to IHOP. She just, she's just like the intercessor. Anyways, I'm still processing a lot, obviously. Uh, <laughs> we learned together, Jane and I, and, and a handful of people like the power of Thanksgiving. You know, in Romans 1, the, the great juggernaut for men exchanging natural relations with women, men pursuing men. You know, as we learn to host him, the Lord, the Lord highlighted Romans 1.21, they did not honor me nor give me things. He said, instead of, instead of talking about this issue, why don't you come back 
and do what they did not do, honor me and give me thanks. And so we took thanksgiving, enter his gates with thanksgiving, thanksgiving, the power of thanksgiving. I'm not going to teach on thanksgiving, but man, not showing up before the Lord empty handed when we call upon him, but we're going to bring something to him. We're going to give him something initially. Like I hammer that our guys. I'm like, I am the worship leader in our community. And they better start out with these two words. Thank you. I don't want to sing Thanksgiving. I don't feel like it. It ain't about you. I'm going to bring him an offering. So we hammered Thanksgiving and we learned what praise was. We learned what songs are praise songs. We became meticulous in what moves him. We set up laboratories where we were students of the presence of God. We would debrief 30 minutes before, go through a two-hour set, and debrief an hour to an hour and a half the nuances of what just happened and why it happened. We would argue, I don't think he liked that. You weren't even listening to me when I was singing. You know, like we like got after it and formed community around the pursuit of living in proximity to his presence. And it was this beautiful experiment of what is it? look like not to attract people what does it look like to attract God and that became the mark of our community what does it look like to attract him what does it look like to host him what does it truly look like for a Psalms 132 community where there's a place on earth that is marked by those four words the Lord is there That became our pursuit and desire. And it totally shifted. Like, what's a win for us? What's a win? Did he come? Did he stay? Did he move? Did we move with him? Did he smile? Did he cry? It just became such a, I miss it, actually. I'm having moments now. (laughs) Because it it gets complicated. People, you're complicated. All of you. He's simple. And the challenge before us is how do we simplify in a complicated culture? How do we simplify the conversation? How do we simplify the pursuit? Because he's simple. If your faith in life has gotten complicated, suggest to you just to look at his face for a while. So, Here's some things that I've learned. And again, I'm, I'm speaking as a pastor, but I think this will be refreshing to you. I, I think I'm going to share this with you just to give some leaders and maybe pastors freedom. Because here, here's what I learned about Oak Lawn is, is once that became a win and we were satisfied with his coming, we were satisfied with rightly responding to him. Do you know who started coming to Jesus? The homosexual community. I married guys that were enslaved to that, got set free. Now they're married, they have kids. Some of them are on my staff. But listen, it wasn't, the agenda, the agenda wasn't their sexuality. Most of them, it wasn't months later we would find out their story. My favorite testimony, I think I share this most places I go, but was a guy that used to dress up as a girl. It was on the pageant like circuit of the homosexual community, which they have those, he's a drag queen, very famous in all the publications. He had gotten born again in our neighborhood and someone told him about our community. He had been attending for about three months, pride parade hit, 
it was interesting because Pride Parade ends at four, our church starts at five, and we're right next to this drag with windows, and it was amazing. You know, didn't want to bring your kids that Sunday. <laughs> Anyways, this guy comes up to me afterwards, and, and he's like, you need to know my story. Last year, I was on the, the last float. I was dressed up, and I won the pageant. Like, my call name out there, people would know it. But I got born again, and I've left that lifestyle, and I've been attending your church for three months. And I'm like, whoa, well, what do you think? And he said, well, when you guys start singing, I'll sit in the back corner, and I, I just feel like someone's giving me a hug. Every time I come and y'all start singing. Attention, pastors and ministry leaders. We want to invite you to an ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, Utah, July 26th through the 28th. This ATD Leadership Summit is for leaders from across America that carry a shared value of hosting the presence of God through day and night worship and prayer and gospel proclamation. Our Awaken the Dawn team will be hosting the event, including David Bradshaw, Matthew Lilly, and David Valier. When you join us for this summit, you will experience real and refreshing connection with like-hearted leaders in an informal, fun, and relational environment, including four free meals together. Teaching and training sessions catered to pioneering presence-centered ministry leaders, spirit-filled and life-giving times of worship, prophetic ministry, and prayer to refresh your heart, interactive breakout sessions and workshops to dialogue about practical ministry challenges, and a regional worship and prayer gathering the weekend after the summit. To learn more and register, go to awakenthedawn.com today. Again, join us for the ATD Leadership Summit in Salt Lake City, July 26th through the 28th. Register now at awakenthedawn.com. We can't wait to see you there. And he's like, I don't know what you do. You know, you got a program for me or whatever. And I'm like, yeah, it's just sit in the corner, you know, that works. Like that's, that's the Lord. And, and what, what I've learned is that deep inside of unbelievers, deep inside of some of like the deconstruction thing, we've seen so many millennials who have left Jesus return to the guy they tried to leave. They've deconstructed it all. And then they get a glimpse of his face because you can't deconstruct a man that's staring at you. But when they come into an environment where first love is being exemplified, a culture of first love, a community that understands how to rightly love him, how to rightly host him. When the lost come into that environment, then the walls come down because inside of them is a desire to love someone like we love him like worship unto evangelism. They're like, what is different about this place? He's here. It's beyond the subject. It's the substance. It's the manifestation of the one that we're talking about. He comes in the room. Ora, Papa. I just felt him come into the room. So here's my graph. So I'll just kind of walk through this. I would put Jesus' active leadership, I've, I've put man's leadership, or actually Jesus' leaders, you could put that there. So like, I, I don't necessarily think man's leadership, I'm not talking man's leadership in, in a negative sense. And I don't think the things on the right are, are negative, but I think for the most part, it's what we've known. And so 
there's certain activities that we do as leaders that increase his leadership. And if you ask me what the secret sauce was to David, David was a man after God's own heart. David wasn't selected because of his leadership skills and abilities. David was selected because he made a vow with the Lord. And the vow with the Lord is that I will put your face in front of me in spite of all that I face. And he stewarded that vow in every season. He started as a teenager, 20 something. And then when he was anointed king, 1 Chronicles 13.3 is a really unique scripture because David's giving the inaugural state of the union where he is finally anointed king. And he says this, he says, we're gonna pursue the ark for we forsook it in the days of Saul. What is he saying? We're gonna pursue the ark. What does that mean? I've been pursuing the presence of Jesus personally And if I'm now your leader, you're going to follow me as I've been following him. He's the reason I'm here and I know that. And I'm going to use my influence now to position you under what I've been under all this time. But but the pressure for leaders when they get into that place is all of a sudden to wear the armor or to become someone or something that you want them to become or that we think we need to become, or what we've seen. But the Lord is raising up Gideons. And those, I love Gideon in Judges 8, the people wanted to anoint Gideon as their king. Have you read this text? And he like refuses to take the oil. He goes, you have a king, it's your God. And he's raising up leaders who know when to not take that place before the people, to position them to pour their oil out first and foremost upon him. But I'm just confused because a lot of the leadership stuff that I see in the church, especially there's leadership platforms, it's leadership driven and leadership is about leading people. But leadership in the kingdom is different than leadership in the world. It's just different. Leadership in the kingdom isn't first and foremost about leading people. Leadership in the kingdom is first and foremost about following the king. And I listen to leadership guys who wear hats like me that are pastors and I'm listening to the stuff that they're sharing and it has nothing to do with Jesus. It has everything to do with people, but it doesn't have to do with the leadership of Jesus. And in the days ahead, we must have leaders that understand the leadership of Jesus, the active leadership of Jesus. And what that looks like locally, what it looks like daily, what it looks like regularly, not just like a spontaneous thing where like he led for a moment, but it's a lifestyle where we've entrusted ourselves continually, regularly, perpetually to the leadership of Jesus. It's a dependence. (sighs) And so that's where my graph came from. So Jesus' active leadership. um, I I think the first one is, is probably the only one that has something that we we shouldn't do. And that's fear man. And so the Lord spoke this to me for too long. Leaders have loved me and feared people. Let me say that again. For too long, leaders have had a genuine love for me, but they're actually driven by a fear of man. And there's coming a day when men will fear me in order to love them. You will serve what you fear. You will yield to what you fear. There's a whittling and a pruning that the Lord wants to take his bride through. And COVID 
was a precursor to that. I'm talking to a lot of pastors and leaders who their communities have been refined and they've been refined with purpose. The Lord, heaven's shears have touched us. He is pruning the vine. And oh, that we would have ears to hear to make pivots where we need to make pivots, to build with him. And it's a fear of God that will establish that. Saying the hard things, speaking the hard words, setting up things that are more accommodating and centered upon God than man. We are all about people. That's like the slogan we hear all the time church-wise. And while I understand that, the Lord is all about people, but I think we as his people need to first say we're all about God. He's all about people. And he will use us to reach people, but in the name of loving God, we have loved people, but we are returning to truly loving God, to love God, to fuel our love for people. It's just slightly different. So you've got the fear of God, the fear of man. You've got presence of the presence or the presence of people. Again, in the book, Rick Joyner, he said, what if we built communities that attract God first? What is it that he desires, likes, preferences? Cultures catering to the one instead of the many. The presence, focus, changes our priorities, goals, our time, our agenda, our framework. The presence becomes the goal. And it really is a returning unto first love. So let me me give you the clearest example in scriptures that I see of first love. It's in Luke chapter 7. Again, talking about my house. I think Luke 7 is an illustration of first love according to Jesus. Luke 7 verse 36. It says, now one of the Pharisees was requesting him to dine with him. And Jesus entered the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. So... I love Jesus. Jesus Jesus always says yes to the invitation. And there's a Pharisee that requested him to dine, requested him at his table. And so Jesus shows up. I I don't know if it was evening or lunchtime, whatever. Let's assume it was evening. But he set a time. He invited his friends. He prepared a meal. He had a place where Jesus would sit. Jesus walks into the house. They're serving food, having conversations. Like the night is going according to the plan. And I don't think this Pharisee, I know we have a negative bent on the Pharisees, but I think this guy actually had a desire to to meet, understand, and know the Lord. And I see our cultural Christian flow in this story. There's a time, a place, a table, friends, an agenda, food. I see that in this story. But there was a woman. Everyone say, oh, that woman. (laughs) She heard Jesus was in the house. And we're familiar with this story. She, she crashes the party. And so this woman who was a sinner learned Jesus was reclining at the table and she stands behind him weeping at his feet. She wets his feet with her tears. She wiped them with her hair. She kissed his feet and anointed them with perfume. And it's really bothersome to the Pharisee. He starts to think to himself, oh man, if Jesus only knew who this woman was. And Jesus breaks out into a parable. It's on forgiveness. But what I want to focus on here is not Simon's perspective of what happened, not the woman's perspective of what happened, but Jesus's commentary on his experience. So look at this. In verse 44, turning towards the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? 
Now, the truth is, is that Simon could not see what Jesus actually saw. He's saying, do you see this woman? I entered your house. Now, the title of this message this morning is my house. But Jesus is saying, I entered into your house. And his commentary on his experience in the Pharisee's house is really important. Because Jesus said this, you gave me no water for my feet. She has wet my feet with her tears. She's wiped them with her hair. Verse 45. You gave me no kisses. She, since the time I came in, has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with perfume. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying this. I was willing to receive all of those things from you but you do not afford me the pleasure of receiving them from you. What do they represent? I think they represent a few things. I think her tears represent her pain. Her kisses represent her affection. Oil represents her treasure. She's bringing her whole self to him. Why? Because he was present. Because he was there. She knew who had entered the house. And he who was the guest of honor somehow is positioned now to receive from her, but he actually gives her exactly what she needs because he would tell her, she says nothing in the account, but he would look at her later and say, your sins are forgiven. What does that mean? She would be positioned to get exactly what she needed. The Bible says she was a sinner. She needed forgiveness, but she brought her whole self before him and she found exactly what she needed. And again, Jesus' commentary is so important. Jesus in verse 47, he says, for this reason, I say to you, her sins, which are many, have been forgiven for she loved much. He's defining this as love. What is it? It's first love. Who is she loving? She's loving him. How is she loving him? With her whole self. (laughs) I believe it's a picture of the bride (laughs) and our response to him when he comes to our cute, pretty dinner parties. Oh, that the agenda would be interrupted. The party would get a little messy. Tears would flow. Kisses would come. Oil would fill It's rightly responding to him. It's rightly responding to his nearness. And it's a bridal paradigm. It's a bridal response. It's it's, it's environments of faith that, oh my goodness, he's here. It's not just, I, I love the prayer movement, but we can pray past him. We can pray beyond him. We can show up and know the subject of prayer and flex our way beyond the one we're actually talking to. Zeal, our zeal will drive us. Man, it's learning to surrender to him and his desires, his likes, the things he wants to do. And I realize mandates are different. Like mantles are different. Like for me, I have no idea how many hours our community prays. We pray six days a week. We have hundreds of volunteers. We pray from 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. I know that's when we're open, but I have no earthly idea if it's continual 
perpetual. It's never been a mark for me quantity. I've always felt like the Lord said, son, I want you to teach people to rightly respond to me when I come. A qualitative like connection. And so we've wrestled with, well, how do we build a model around that? You don't. Not that there's anything wrong with models. Like I think models sustain and grow and Oh, golly, what you guys have, what IHOP has done is just a sign and a wonder. And I love that Mike is like, don't do this. Well, I'm the guy that goes, okay, I won't do that. (laughs) Because uh, it's a local community of 99% of the people leading are volunteers. But our deal is like, can we teach them to connect when he comes? Do we intercede? Yes. Do we, we do all the the components, but, but the target is, did he show up? Did we yield to him? When he became the guest of honor in our midst, did he shift to being the host? <laughs> Praise and worship are central. I, again, models are okay. Like there's church planting models and some of the most common, most popular church planting models tell you not to worship past X amount of time. And and I, I, I mean, I, I think I understand it. I've never really sat under it. I've just know guys that are leading in it and they're seeing loss come to Jesus, which is amazing. But, but we have like done the opposite. Uh, it, it, like our worship will go like an hour and a half sometimes. Sunday night, it's filled with millennials wall to wall. And we'll worship sometimes two and a half hours. And they don't leave. And we still preach for an hour. But when God's present, it's like, oh, but it's a culture. It's something that's built with him. There's a substance that's present. And so prayer and worship are the means to that reality. Preaching and teaching is so, so, so important. Uh, but it needs to be from, from this pursuit. Like even our series and agendas, I am like, man, if we can just hit this one key over and over and over and over and experience that. I mean, he leads us into different things that we need to equip the body with and teach. But man, I don't have a big preaching agenda. I don't do series. I'm preaching tomorrow. I'm preaching two services. I have like a rough idea of what I'm going to do, but here's my faith now and my history with this is he's going to come. And if he doesn't, I have nothing to say. If he's not there, I have nothing to say. Truly. But when he comes, spirit and truth, like I'm not talking presence like swirly, like we just lay on the floor. It's not just that. It's effective. It's, it's purposeful. There's direction. There's intent. I mean, we're, 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 we're effectively preaching the gospel. We're effectively handling the word of truth. We're doing a lot of the things that we would do anyways, but it's just that target is constantly before us. Uh, presence versus presentation. The presence is the point. His coming is our desire. Focus on the coming remaining of the Lord not the presentation of our gifts, agendas, and plans. Excellence is important, but it's not the driving force. The two can coexist. Presence often gets whimsical and spontaneous. The weirder it is, the more anointed it is, but that's not true. It can be undignified. It needs to get undignified. Uh, Immeasurable versus measurables. The immeasurable is, it's so hard to, like even this language, it's like the presence. How do you measure that? What does that mean? It's hard to measure until he starts to come until you get a history with it. And then the immeasurable starts to click in. I could give you, I could give you like real-time examples in the here and the now of, of this resting place reality. I, I, I don't know if I have 
the liberty like it would take too long to share, but God is really committed to building his house unless he builds the house. And if you're called and being led, if it's ministry, if it's church leadership, like he's so committed to his desires and his story. Uh, this is another one, especially for young people. Heaven, well, heaven versus earth is another one. Uh, we just did, there's an incredible dream that a young adult had about Maranatha and heaven coming to earth, that the Lord is looking for people saying, you can come, will you come? Heaven is coming to earth soon. Uh, this is one I feel like I'm supposed to hit this morning, intimacy versus influence. Um, he's, he's looking for followers, not leaders. Uh, the Lord's been just speaking to me about how influence is an idol for a lot of leaders and a lot of movements. Um, he said this, he said, there's many that are influential for me, but they're not intimate with me. Influence has to be the fruit of intimacy. What gets you there sustains you in that place. And my concern is many guys are flexing their ways to the place of influence and it just doesn't end. I'm not worried about being influential. I'm worried about being faithful. And if stewardship of his grace makes you influential, praise God, steward it well. But if you're hidden in the unseen, obscure places, steward that well. Don't strive to be someone, something that you're not. Comparison's a joy thief. It's an Achilles heel of this generation, specifically those things we look at on our phone. Don't give in to the bait of influence. What did Mike say last night? Drunk on human approval? He's detoxing of us of that. Uh, following Jesus versus leading men. He's looking for followers, not leaders. One thing versus many things. If you get the one thing, you get everything else. Uh, I was talking to Billy about this last night, but, but Psalms 132, which is the one thing vow. Uh, David makes one vow and it's you that I'll seek. And then look about halfway through. You don't hear a lot of people talk about the vow then the Lord makes with David. If David keeps that one thing before him, the Lord says, I will give you basically everything your heart desires. Blessing, generational blessing, protection, satisfaction, it's all there. And then growing grace versus growing gifts. Um, stewarding grace, stewarding the grace he puts upon us. Grace for seasons. Grace to know what is he on, what is he not? What is he birthing? What have you birthed? And uh, if we just grow in our gifts, then people are attracted to the God-given gifts that he's given us, but we may miss him in our midst. <laughs> And I just am afraid we've seen giftings lead us, but the grace of Jesus manifesting the presence of Jesus is where we're heading. Thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode. We would love for you to hit follow or subscribe in whatever app you're using so that you can continue to get episodes like this every month. If you enjoyed today's episode, do us a favor and please share it with your friends and post it on social media. Be sure to tag Awaken the Dawn in your post so that we can reshare that with all of our friends as well. If you're tuning in on Apple, please leave us a rating or a review. And if you're on YouTube, give us that thumbs up like button and leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of today's episode. And we really appreciate it. Finally, please visit our website at awakenthedawn.com. You can find out more about our ministry and movement, and you can also make a donation to help support this podcast and the Awaken the Dawn ministry. Thank you again for tuning in today, and don't forget, Jesus changes everything.